God, I, I pray for the families and marriages of Rock Point Church and of our surrounding community. Lord, I, I pray your blessing of strength and hope, of comfort and power. Lord, I pray that you would sustain those who feel like this is a difficult season of life. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen to your spirit, to open up our hearts that we might receive from you, that we might grow. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to act as agents of light, instruments of mercy and encouragement, so that you might be glorified. Lord, speak to us now. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. You have your Bibles. We'll be in Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. And the title is, Oh No, I Married the Wrong Person. Okay? I was a singles pastor for about eight years before I came here. And so I heard this a lot. You know, a lot of times that I would deal with people who had either been married or, or dating or whatever their situation. So many times I hear, I think I married the wrong person. I think I'm engaged. I think I'm in love with the wrong person. And so many times I would I would hear that, that it just kind of about stuck in my mind. And it's, and it's interesting, the reason that we think it, part of it is because there, there are at least three myths about marriage. You know, one of them is that you are going to be in the perfect marriage by basically what we might want to call viral love. You're going to catch love one day. One day, you're going to catch it. You know, it's like a, it's like a cold or something. It's just going to hit you and you'll know it and you're in love and you'll be in love forever. <clears throat> and that somehow that's what it, love is all about. It's, it's really another word we call is infatuation. When we get really heavily infatuated. <clears throat> so the movies, TV programs, magazines, papers, they all kind of affirm that there's a viral love out there. You can just go out and catch it somewhere. That's what you need to do. Just, just catch that love, as opposed to seeing love as a commitment, as the video does such a great job of that, that commitment. The love is are the vows that you make. It's the commitment. It's the faith that you put in one another. The number two myth about marriage is the uh, is the, the empty box theory. It's, it's the or the full box theory that I come to marriage and marriage is this box and it's full of everything I need to be happy. Everything I ever wanted, it's in this box, I tell you. And so when we get in here, we open up this box. Man, it's going to be great, I tell you. And we start taking things out of this box. And pretty soon we realize, wait, did I get the wrong box? Because this box ain't working anymore. This box, I think I got the wrong box. I think that's what happened. It's, it's the belief that it's all full and you can just endlessly... Make withdrawals from it. The truth of it is, when you get married, it's empty. And, you, and it's what you put into the box is what you get out of it. So, the kind of the full box theory that I can just make withdrawals as often as I want. And the real truth of it is, it's really about the box is meant to be contained and to make deposits into it. And then the third one, of course, I married the wrong person. I, I got the wrong box. I just married the wrong person. And let me tell you this. If there was ever anybody that married the wrong person, we're going to read about him right now in, in Genesis chapter 29. I mean, if anybody could ever say, look now, 
I've married the wrong person. It's going to be Jacob. Because, I mean, he's going to get snookered. I mean, so we are like nowhere close to even understand. And, and what's interesting is that he is not let out of this marriage. God does not condone him leaving this marriage. And so we're going to read the story here in just a moment of someone who literally married the wrong person. But maybe the question should not be for us today, did I marry the right person, but am I creating the right marriage? You've heard it a million times. Am I the right person? It's not about you finding the right person. So, let's look here for just a moment. Somebody who married the wrong person. Let, let me just confess to you right up front, too. This is a topical sermon. Uh, I like to try to do expositional sermons. You know, pe- preachers all the time talk about, you do topical, you do exposition. Most of them don't even know what they're talking about, by the way. Um, people ask me that question, I don't even know what that means. Uh, most people think if you just read Bible, you know, that that's, that's an expositional sermon. We'll do a class on that someday, but I'm just going to be right up front with you and tell you this one's topical, okay? Some of you don't even care what that means, do you? So let's just move right on. Verse 15, and after Jacob had stayed with him for a month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Of course, Jacob has left home because he's had a falling out with Esau and with his family, and he's running for his life, so he's gone to live with his uncle and aunt and his cousins. And as we'll see, he's very attractive to one of his cousins, which was very normal back then. And now Laban had two daughters, and the name of the older one was Leah, which in the Hebrew is also the word for cow. She doesn't have a good start in life. <laughs> the name of her younger was Rachel, and Leah had weak eyes. You know, Leah just doesn't have a very good start. My name is Cow. And I've got weak eyes, which we don't know if that was they were pasty, if they were weak in sense of uh, maybe she was cross-eyed. We, we don't know exactly what it meant. But what, what does mean is that Jacob's not attracted to her right now. She's got the little sister thing going on because what it says, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I tell you what, I will work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel, not the cow. Okay, and so Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because his love for her. And Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. It's very romantic. My time is complete, and I'd like to lie with her, in case you're wondering what it is I'd like to do, what is motivating me so highly today. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a great feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her, and Jacob gave servant Zilpha to his daughter as her maidservant. And when the morning came, your King James translation, I love it, says, Behold, there was Leah. There was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? And by the way, the deceit that he had played on his brother comes full circle 
These are the exact comments that Isaac made. What have you done to me? I've served you for Rachel. Didn't you? Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, it is our custom, not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so, and he finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. What do you think? Would Jacob be allowed to say, uh-oh, oh no, I think I married the wrong woman? I mean, if anybody ever did, I think Jacob would be the one that could make that claim. But it's interesting that God doesn't let him out of that. He doesn't get a free pass. He doesn't get to say, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Can, can we, we reverse this thing? It's not the way it's approached. And, and really, we know. It's really just been the last couple hundred years that commitments to marriage were made as we make them today. Uh, usually, the spouse was chosen in most cultures, which makes it even more interesting, the way that we go about things and, and the way that we decide upon what love is. The truth of it is, when somebody says today, I think I married the wrong person, what are they really saying? Well, they're saying one of three things. They're saying, I, I, I don't feel happy with my spouse right now. My spouse is not making me feel very good. They're not doing what I wanted them to do. I'm, I'm just not real happy with this situation right now. The box ain't working for me. Okay? That's, that's what they're normally saying. That's what they're normally thinking or expressing. I'm not happy right now. And it's, first of all, a misconception of what marriage for. What, what was marriage originally intended for? First of all, is intended uh, to be a picture of how Christ loved the church here on earth. And we are to be conformed into the image of Christ through the institution of marriage. So that's the real purpose. But when we have a different purpose, it's easily, easily uh, kind of shadowed or it's easily misunderstood. The second thing, people, I don't feel really connected emotionally right now. It goes back to the box. What, what are we putting into the box? We may be taking from the box, but what are we doing with the box? This, this is an opportunity for me to love someone the way that Christ has loved me, even when I wasn't seeking to love him, even when I wasn't getting a fair shake, even when it wasn't 50-50. And thirdly, they don't feel connected spiritually. And those are all things that we would certainly want to work on. And the third one would be the only valid reason to think, you know what, I really, really need to look at this thing again. But none of those are reasons to jump out of the marriage. So the real issue is not that we married the wrong person, but that maybe we've created the wrong marriage. I, I look at this story with Jacob. And I mean, if you're like me, don't you wonder, how in the heck did that happen? I mean, there were some obvious differences here, weren't there? What, what's, what's going on exactly? Well, the first one is that we know at wedding feasts, there was a lot of wine. And so after seven days, <clears throat> you know what? He probably had had a lot to drink, just period, okay? So he's intoxicated. <clears throat> and we can identify to that today because a lot of times people get married when they're infatuated. Neil Clark Warren says that now statistics show us 
over the last 15 years that people who get married and have known each other less than two months, there's somewhere between a 97 and a 98 percent chance that that marriage will end in divorce. You know why? Because they were still in the infatuation stage. They really hadn't grown in commitment and faith to each other. They were still just on a very basic feeling level. And then when those feelings went away, they had based an entire marriage. They didn't even know that other person like that. The second one is the veil. A veil. It was common. We even see it back in uh, Genesis chapter 24. Uh, Jacob's mother had a veil placed upon her. That was very common in that culture to have a veil placed upon him. Particularly, we still use veils right before the wedding time. And so the veil had probably been placed on Leah. He's been drinking. And so he's got a veil. I didn't see the real person. Is that not kind of true for us so many times? You know, I have a coin in my pocket, and it's a half dollar. And on one side, there's a head or a president. The other side is an eagle. Which one of these is the coin? If I, if I give it to you this way and you see it, you go, would you say, oh, that's a 50-cent piece? But what if I turn around and you see the eagle? Well, it's a 50-cent piece. Both sides make the coin. <clears throat> it's a real coin, even though there are two sides to the coin. Truth of it is, there's two sides to every one of us. You know, when my sweet wife, Allison, married me, she thought she was getting, and some of these things are really true, she was getting this sweet, honorable, you know, nice guy, sacrificial, very helpful, good-looking, in shape, all these things she thought she was getting. And, no. To her, much to her surprise, after we've been married for a while, she found out that there's this other side, too. There's this mean, self-centered, doesn't help very much, doesn't speak very kindly, introvert. Are you kidding me? It's, it was, as a matter of fact, that was the, the big surprise for her. The real truth of it is I'm an introvert. She's an extrovert. People think it's the opposite because she wouldn't want to be up here on this stage talking. But I'm actually an introvert. So we would maybe go and do something together like church or whatever, and I'd come home, and I'd want to go sit on the couch and read the paper or just sit there. And she'd ask me a question. I'd go, no. Yeah. All right. Whatever. And she's thinking, what is wrong with this guy? I mean, he was just talking to everybody, and then I come in here. It's like, what is wrong? What is this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, you know? And that was just me. That's just, that's my dark side. That's just who I am. If you let me be, I'll just, I just, I won't talk to any of you. <laughs> I just go in my hole, read my, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm weird. I mean, like, I, I would like to, I like to go to movies by myself. Watch television by myself. Eat by myself. I'm just, I'm just weird. And you know what? Both sides are me. Same thing's true for your spouse. Both sides are, are the truth. And the question is not, does one exist? The question is, do we embrace and recognize I've married the whole person in that I didn't get just half a person? That wasn't the end of it. That wasn't the final analysis of what I'm committed to. I'm committed to the whole person. So I see Jacob here. There was a veil and there were two different people. There was a Rachel and there was a Leah. And then thirdly, we see the darkness. We all have dark sides, don't we? We all have the sinful part of us. The part that only seeks self 
So there's the dark side and there's the light side. And the truth of it is we will deal with our darkness until we die. And one of the things that marriage does is it exposes the darkness in our life. It exposes those areas that we need to work on. And it's how God has formulated marriage so that it literally causes us to be exposed and have to deal. And we want to, in our selfishness, just say, no, it doesn't. it's not there. Turn the light out. But marriage, boy, it's like turning a bright light on when you've been asleep, isn't it? It just exposes and it doesn't let you get away with those sinful habits without them being recognized. God certainly knew what he was doing when he created the institution of marriage. So I recognize that there's an intoxication spirit time. And that's a blessing of God. I recognize that there's a veil that covers us, that none of us go straight into marriage showing all our warts. But I also recognize that there's a dark side. And the question is not will it exist, but what will I do to work on it? What will I do to allow this person to mold me into the image of Christ? How will I allow the Spirit of God to use and work through our conflicts I want to read to you some things that were given to me this week. I I asked many people, and some of you sent responses in, on things that you wish you would have known before you got married. And if you're single here today, these are great lessons. As a matter of fact, we've got copies outside if you want them. But I asked Brian and Edie to look over all these, and they came up with the top ten. And then I've I've got 12 other things that I came up with from them, but I want to read them to you. Number one, after the infatuation phase of relationship, love is no longer automatic. It needs to become intentional or else it will cease. And again, these are things from Rock Point, members from Rock Point. These were the most prevalent ones we saw. The purpose of marriage is not to be happy and successful, but to glorify God by becoming more Christ-like through hardships, trials, and marriage experience. Number three, focus on changing yourself and not your spouse. For neither of you are perfect. Let God work on it in his time. Number four, be prepared for the ebbs and flows of marital harmony. Regardless of the strength of your marriage, you're still going to have those times. Number five, the importance of finding things you like to do together. Number six, saying I'm sorry isn't a sign of weakness. Number seven, how to resolve conflict in a way that glorifies God. Number eight. I wish I had known that sex wasn't like what it's portrayed as in the movies. Number nine, to prioritize time away for the two of you. Number ten, to celebrate, I mean celebrate your differences. You know, twelve words that we all need to learn are these simple words. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me, and I love you. Those are 12 words we have to have in our arsenal as mar- in our married life. I want to take just a moment, and I want to read to you from Scripture, and I want to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to pray for your spouse if you're married. If you're not married, I want you to pray uh, for one that may be your spouse one day. To pray, uh, for, pray and ask God to help you in your heart. To understand what marriage is to be and what he desires. 
If you are certain you won't be married again, then maybe you want to pray for your children or your grandchildren or people that God has placed in your life. But for just a moment, I want to ask you to pray for God's blessing and understanding and counsel in marriage. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous and does not brag. It is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve, to persevere in unity of the spirit and in the bond of peace. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love.